Welcome back to episode number eight on the wealth of self. Our guest today on the podcast is Darren Soma. Darren is a yoga practitioner who has been teaching meditation and yoga for over two decades in the nation's capital. He's a certified yoga therapist and an advisor on the board of Taksha University's Institute of Yoga Therapy and Meditation. Growing up in Virginia Beach, Darren found himself just miles away from the Christian Broadcast Network headquarters and Regent Universities, one of the largest military bases in Norfolk, and just a few miles away from the first landing, which was actually the first settling grounds for Europeans when entering the mainland of the United States. This unique intersection created a highly transient environment during many of Darren's most formative years. At the feeble age of four, Darren distinctly remembers an intense sensation of boredom and began to ask himself why he was here. His mother helped guide him through this uncertainty and let him know that he simply needed to make the world a better place. That simple sentence became his life's mission. Darren has a background in science, holding degrees in math, physics, philosophy, and psychology. And while he loved the analytical tools of the sciences, he found that the common worldview of scientists and assumptions of the physical world were severely lacking. This pushed him to further his pursuit of the teachings of yoga and the vast sciences of the consciousness. Darren's story is incredibly diverse and certainly more detailed than we can fully encapsulate in this simple conversation. But his teachings of compassion, love, and spiritual connection are ones that I hope everyone listening can resonate with and use to improve their own life by finding a deeper wealth of self. Let's kick this episode off with Darren Soma. Welcome back to The Wealth of Self. I'm beyond excited to have Darren here in the studio again. This is not the first time we've spoken, but this is, I think, the first time we'll be able to really take a deep dive on his life, and I'm very excited to have you all along for that ride, and I'm going to kick it over here for our intro to Darren. So thanks for making the time to come in and speak to me. I've wanted to do this for The Wealth of Self for a long time, and, and in many ways, I felt like our first conversation just started to kind of scratch the surface. And, you know, I don't think you can fully tell this story. I think you kind of have to experience it in order to really understand it um, to its full magnitude. But um, I'm, I'm really very excited to dive in a little bit further with you here today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is a, a great opportunity and I really appreciate the, the platform and what the podcast represents. Of course. Yeah. Thank you. And, and your expression of uh, enjoying the title, The Wealth of Self, that makes me feel really great. I looked back at some uh, some paperwork and, and whatnot for when I first sort of started to conceptualize this idea. And it was back in 2018, I think, when I made the, like the web domain purchase initially and started to write down some of the concepts for Wealth of Self. So mm -hmm. 
it's only recently really started to develop. And over the course of my um, about two and a half years in D.C., I've met some really wonderful people. And the mission to tell their story and to at least share their voice has been on my heart heavily. Mm. And a part of that also was losing mom. Mm. Um, Her story was so important to me Mm. and her memory was so vibrant Mm. and not being able to do that justice in many ways has been a fire under my butt, a catalyst, if you will, Mm. to make sure that I I do my due diligence to have these stories told and and do it in a way that's accessible for as many people as possible. Yeah. So well, I was sold as soon as you told me the title of the podcast. <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah, because uh, the uh, wealth of self is the greatest wealth. And uh, that's really beautiful what you just shared about the inspiration behind it. Uh, very uh, resonant with my own inspirations. So. Well, thank you for that. Well, I think based on our conversations and everything that we've discussed up to this point, truly understanding your story can be a challenge. I think it is for everyone because the intricacies of our lives are so deep that to, to, to share that with someone and expect them to get it on the first go is, is a bit of a, an impossible task. It's, it's a very tall order. Mm. But I found that in the conversations I have been able to have with people that giving a little bit of an origin, a backstory, and understanding how you got to where you are and how those pivotal moments throughout your upbringing and throughout your life have informed what you do now and your message moving forward Mm. makes it at least a little bit more digestible for people. So Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to go back, and and you provided some beautiful responses in our initial uh, conversation, and I'd, I'd, I'd love to hear more about your origin and how some of those early moments informed and helped you grow as a young man. Mm. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, I, uh, when I was four years old, uh, I had this first sort of experience of, uh, boredom. Mm-hmm. You could call it like an existential crisis, you know, Yeah, at four years at old, four years old. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was a really visceral experience in my nervous system. I remember walking around the house and I was like, what am I doing here? What, what am I supposed to be doing? And, uh, I, um, I remember feeling a little down and not knowing what to do with myself. So I just sat down beside my mother. She was watching the news mm-hmm. and, uh, which was of course upsetting. And she, uh, suddenly turned to me and said, Darren, the world is a very messed up place. Uh, you need to do something to make it better. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, my mother was my world of course as a, a child. And, uh, so I really uh, took that to heart as a life mission. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, growing up in Virginia Beach, um, it's, uh, I think in general in Western society, suburban society, it's a very unnatural sort of way to grow up. You know, on some hands, it was really cool because, you know, my best friends growing up were like Egyptian, Filipino, Japanese. and Yeah. So you had a lot of diversity in your friend group at an early age. Yeah, very much. And so I was exposed to a lot of different cultures, too. Mm-hmm. Um but there was, it was a very strong military presence mm-hmm. uh, there. The largest military base in the world is in Norfolk right next door. And yeah. So we always had a lot of military families and a lot of transients. and Yeah, a lot of movement with, with military folks. Yeah. Continual. Yeah, exactly. So. No, and there was also this sort of um, military attitude too, I think. You know, people were really tough. And uh, um, so, yeah, there, there was a lot of fear also. Um, it wasn't like inner city you know neighborhood or anything mm-hmm. um but it wasn't the safest feeling of course yeah. you know in public school um 
was uh, quite a challenge for me, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, you know, I hesitate to say that because it, it really wasn't like, you know, I have a lot of privilege, you know. Um, but uh, we were, my family was lower middle class, even though, you know, both my parents had doctorate degrees. You know? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, the the fear was always there because regardless of how people appeared, you know, there was always trauma underneath. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think one of the um, motivating factors in my life um, was this um, sharing of love with people, you know, mm-hmm. these heart connections. And I think my mother has this beautiful, amazing quality that she always feels like everybody is worthy of love, mm-hmm. you know, like unconditional, you know, even the worst people. It's like, yeah. you know. <laughs> it's, a, it's a beautiful quality to it have. It is, yeah. yeah. It's not to ignore the negative things, right, you know, right. to recognize them, but to still, you know, hold them in your heart, not to, you know, think that they're worthless mm-hmm. or, or unworthy of, uh, you know, support. Right. Um, and that made me sort of a natural um, confidant, mm-hmm. I think, for a lot of people. Um, especially women. I had a lot of female friends uh, mm-hmm. growing up. They found it very easy to talk to me. Mm-hmm. And what was really sort of um, upsetting, I think, as I was growing up was hearing how many uh, of those female friends had been sexually abused. It's staggering. Uh, it's staggering. You know, when you actually, if you, you're close to someone and they open up about that, the connections to other individuals, other women who have experienced stuff like that, <laughs> it's it's very sad. Yeah, yeah. I think it's um, a silent um, epidemic that we're uh, not in full recognition of. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and especially when I got to college, uh, when I, you know, I had to ask myself, what is it I want to do with my life? Mm-hmm. Right? And at that point, nothing had really interested me. Um, I was really deep into philosophy because I was searching for truth. It was mm-hmm. my answer to how I can make the world a better place. You yes. know. Um, it was actually interesting because I have this sort of like uh, conquistador gusto, you know, when uh, I was like, okay, I need to make the world a better place. Right. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to become the richest person in the world. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was my first thought as a little kid. <laughs> How uh, to make the most influence. Right. <laughs> have all the money. Um, and then my grandmother set up a college fund for me and I saw mm-hmm. I was getting all this money and I was like, oh, wow, you know, this is, you know, but then I kind of somehow you know, went from there. I was like, oh, well, money's not going to be enough. I need political power, right? So I wanted to be a politician. Mm-hmm. And then uh, my grandfather was like, oh, no, they're all crooks and liars, you know. <laughs> he's not He's not too far off. Right. Uh, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, he actually had experience in politics, too. So he, he knew the inside reality of it. But um, when I studied these political arguments, mm-hmm. you know, growing up, it, it always struck me as funny that there was an argument because it's like, well, if the truth is known, what is there to what debate? What is there to argue what about? What is there to argue about, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Very innocent, but, uh, but yeah. you know, poignant uh, sentiment there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I made this my life mission to discover truth. And when I encountered physics in high school, I got so engaged because here was something after years of philosophizing, you know, and not really knowing what ground you're standing on, mm-hmm. here was something that was like black and white, right? You know, uh, either you got the answer or you didn't. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to be a theoretical physicist, yeah. right? And Find- that's the allure for a lot of people who enter the field of mathematics is because it's 
definite, or at least that's the perception of it, is that these are hard and fast rules. You can really sink your teeth into it and get a firm answer. Exactly. A lot of people love the the, the tangible nature of that, I think. Yeah. No, and I like how you cued in on mathematics, too, because there's a, that saying at college that, uh, or university, you know, every um, biologist considers him or herself a chemist, right? Because mm-hmm. all biology is based on chemistry. Every mm-hmm. chemist considers themselves a physicist because chemistry is based on physics. Right. Every physicist considers themselves a mathematician because all physics is based on math. Yeah. And yeah. every mathematician yeah. considers themselves a god. Right. And so it goes, yeah. <laughs> wow, okay. I've never heard that chain connected like that, but I, now I have. Um. But yeah, when I was studying physics, uh, I was really engaged, and um, but then I started running up against this wall that I was very sensitive to because of all the philosophy that I had studied. Also, mm-hmm. that here was something that, especially when you got to like subatomic, you know, physics, where mm-hmm. you're like questioning the very building blocks of matter. You know, mm-hmm. what is the the stuff that the universe is made out of? Right. Ultimately, um, I realized that you know, no matter what experiments were done that the physicists were never considering the possibility that uh, the observer and the observed are made of the same stuff, mm-hmm. right? which is consciousness. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really loved uh, the concept of idealism when mm-hmm. I studied it. And, uh, and it explains, you know, a lot of things that a more realist material outlook uh, can't appreciate, which mm-hmm. is, um, it was like occult phenomenon, uh, mysticism, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> a lot of these things that we call hocus pocus, right? Right. But uh, you know, sometimes these things are so like overwhelmingly, you know, evident mm-hmm. that it's amazing. You know, we still deny it that it's yeah overlooked or denied. Yeah. Right. Uh, but so I became a little disillusioned with physics, but then I had this experience of coming home mm-hmm. uh, to to myself and. Uh, and that was when I discovered that great wealth of self, right? Yeah. Um, that everything I needed was inside of me. Right. And and everything is alive, mm-hmm. you know. It was, uh, the trees were there mm-hmm. talking to me, and uh, I was talking to them, apologizing for being away for so long on this long trip. And, uh, and it was a beautiful uh, moment of coming home to the reality of spirit. Mm-hmm. And it was not a theory. And this is why, you know, uh, scientists are uh, so resistant to it because you can't conceive of it mm-hmm. until you experience it. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, I-, I wanted to go back just a little bit because one of the things that we discussed before starting our recording was that there was this sort of unspoken pressure that was placed on you as a young man that you could do anything you wanted. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's, as we talked about living in a society of abundance here in America, it's, it's almost like a choice of paradox Mm -hmm. because realistically, if you had the fortitude and the will to do so, you could teach yourself and form yourself into conceivably whatever it is that you want it to be from a career perspective. Right. So you, you, you say that out loud and you say, you know, I've, I've this, this sort of burden of choice is placed on you. How did you navigate that in that early phase? Because I think that kind of goes hand in hand with that, boredom and some of that uncertainty that accompanies understanding that next phase of what do you choose to do? How do you choose to form yourself? Yeah, no, it's a um, really profound um, uh, complex that, that I think a lot of uh, people growing up in the West face, mm-hmm. uh, particularly white males, you know, we have all this privilege and we have this sort of feeling that society is expecting us to do great things, that we have to be great, you know? 
Uh, this is why white men love to talk at the meetings, right? <laughs> <laughs> this is a, a having a podcast. I, yeah. <laughs> I hope that doesn't fall too much into the same category. <laughs> yeah, no, we're not talking over anybody, right? So, Trying so. not to, not at all. <laughs> sharing, sharing the platform if we can. Yeah, exactly. And uh, But it, there is this uh, burden of expectation and, and how to feel good about yourself, you know, what it is you're doing in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, interestingly enough, at odds with my spiritual mission to find myself, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, who I really am isn't dependent on any external factor, right? This is the, the beauty of uh, what yoga promises to, to give to us, you mm-hmm. know, is uh, an indestructible wealth that, uh, that nothing can touch, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we, we definitely, you know, all of us feel social pressures. We were molded by them, influenced by them. And I mean, really, it wasn't until recently that I started feeling good about what it is I'm doing, you know, <laughs> it's a long journey or it has been, it has been you. a long journey. Exactly. Yeah. Um, because when I, uh, left college, uh, I didn't want to go get a job. I was very much called to pursue the spiritual, uh, truth that I had touched on. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I lived at a Buddhist monastery, um, for half a year and thought about becoming a monk. Mm-hmm. And then where was that? Can you go into detail on the specifics of that experience for you? Yeah, I was, uh, incredibly blessed uh, to meet Venerable Master Thich Nhat Hanh. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a three-week retreat on mindfulness with him in Vermont and discovered this amazing community of monastics who were, their practice is living deeply in the present moment. Yeah. And that was uh, what I had touched. is like, it's all right here, right now. Mm-hmm. And here they were not only uh, knowing that truth, but cultivating it. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and interesting enough, my the Dharma name that they gave me when I took their trainings was Joyful Cultivation of the Heart. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, it was very accurate. They, they, they pinned it because that's what I really loved about it was this cultivation of the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, living at the monastic, at the monastery, I, I felt the burden of wanting to use my potential, you know, still. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't feel comfortable cloistering myself away in a monastery where, you know, I'd be very... Uh, secluded and actually is you know that what it that's what it means to become a monk is that you're right. renouncing the world i wasn't ready to renounce the world mm-hmm. I, I wanted to do something in it um when you reflect on that were there was there a sensation of selfishness in that moment because you still felt that you had more to give or wanted to go out and be more in the world and then reflecting on how you know in that in that environment renouncing the world in many ways is giving up that that self mm-hmm. in certain ways was there any emotional debate that you fought through in that moment it's a beautiful question because i was so happy at the monastery um it was a daily you meditate that much and everything is a meditation your yeah. walk even every step you take is a meditation mm-hmm. following your breath it's this incredible joy mental yeah. joy that just fills every moment of your day right uh, so i knew that it because of that, mm-hmm. that it wasn't selfish in that way, because yeah. uh, my my restlessness um, was because of all the people that I loved. You know, mm-hmm. all these friends that I had made in college, I uh, I loved them so deeply. I didn't want to uh, abandon them. And, right. Yeah. Uh, so um, so what I tried to do was uh, live as a monk outside of the monastery. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that probably turned out to be too much of a selfish decision, <laughs> too yeah, a selfish yeah. answer, you know. 
Um, <clears throat> because, I, but I had experience um, in understanding that you could live on faith like this. And I, but I didn't know this is actually uh, an age old tradition. Uh, cultures world around they support uh, renunciates, spiritual renunciates, mm -hmm. uh, especially in India. Uh, there's an estimated forty million. Wow! Sadhus, yeah. Oh my gosh! I didn't know that. So that's a staggering number. Then staggering number. Yeah, yeah. it's part of their culture. Mm -hmm. um, is to support the sadhu. Is what it's called. The the spiritual renunciate who's. Mm -hmm. Um, renounce the world, but they, they really want to get that spiritual wealth. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then they can share those blessings with all society. So it's society's obligation to support them. Right. If I had been uh, a renunciate in India, it would have been very easy. Yeah. But I was a renunciate. I started off in Europe and then America. Mm -hmm. And, you know, most of the time, like the projection was... You know, you know, Go get a job, right? Right, right. <laughs> it's the uh, the bum mentality, right? Like you're not contributing in the traditional sense. You're not contributing at all. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, so I was really blessed to be uh, guided uh, spiritually. Mm -hmm. I found uh, an ashram um, only three hours from where I grew up in Virginia Beach called Yogaville. Mm -hmm. And I heard about it when I was in Europe, of all places. But there was a great uh, master there, um, Swami Satchitananda. Mm -hmm. And uh, boy, he was, I, I could talk for hours about the greatness of Swami Satchitananda, just so you could talk for hours mm -hmm. about uh, Venerable Thich Nhat Hanh. So I really count my blessings there. Uh, but I got this very authentic education in yoga um, lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Because that's what an ashram means. It means a refuge place where you're cultivating uh, inwardness and, uh, and spirituality. Mm -hmm. um, and that doesn't have to represent a physical space necessarily. That can be wherever you are able to cultivate that message for yourself, right? Yeah, and yeah. it's actually beautiful in um, in Sanskrit. There's um, ashram means refuge, so it means like a, a physical place where the guru is and the mm -hmm. spiritual uh, practitioners are. But it could also refer to the four stages of life, uh, which is you know when you're um, celibate. Uh, a young person mm -hmm. studying, um, learning, and you become a householder, then you become forest dweller, then you become a renunciate. This is like the, the yeah. life plan. But they're called, all those four stages are called ashrams. ashrams. And a dear friend of mine, um, uh, Dr. Chintamani Yogiji, he's an incredible humanitarian, but he was the one who told me when I got married that uh, married life is an ashram, you know. Yeah. And so uh, that's been my attitude in cultivating mm -hmm. uh, my home. Yeah. yeah, the place of sacred refuge. Mm -hmm. Well, you're navigating now at this early phase through Europe and then into America. And at a certain point, you're making your round back into Washington, D.C., into this range. What does that, that geographic sort of transition look like for you mm. in more detail? Well, I always loved D.C. when I visited it. There was something about the energy here that I felt electric, you know, mm -hmm. Because it's not like New York, which is so much about sort of like money and, you know, and, and uh, fame and things like that. You know, D.C. is like it's very much about power, but it's also because there's so much power here. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people that are passionate about change. Mm -hmm. And so I naturally found um, just incredible communities of people here. Mm -hmm. uh, when I moved into D.C. as a very poor Yogi, I uh, couldn't afford much. So I, I found this group home to move into, mm -hmm. and it was a uh, happened to be an activist uh, group home. Yeah, and particularly um, the, the house was really central in a lot of ways to independent media mm -hmm. uh, in the area, and um, and that was just phenomenal to be around. You know, these people are very passionate about independent media, getting your news from uh, different sources, and 
you know, and looking at the world through that lens, right. it gives you a very different picture. Mm. <laughs> oh, it does. I, I, I remember, I, I don't know how much this aligns, but Democracy Now! TV, yes. this was something my mom was an avid a viewer of. And, and it was just a, it was a much calmer, less bad news bias. And it really focused on global issues and it didn't have the spin that a lot of the other major networks had. That's right. And it was just, uh, you know, I didn't watch news much with her and I, I don't now, but when I reflect on those moments, it was refreshing to have that voice. Amy Goodman, I yeah, think was her name. Exactly. So yeah, I had the pleasure of meeting Amy Goodman one time at one of her speaking events. Really? And she just has this incredible presence that I, I really respect and honor because I could see how much she's holding. Mm -hmm. uh, it takes a immense strength and courage to, to tell the stories of so many suffering people. Mm -hmm. um, um, so yeah, living in DC was really interesting in that way because um, here I was uh, with this spiritual wealth and a lot of the activists uh, were very, how can I say atheist? <laughs> yeah. And I, I sense that is, is a strong presence in DC and mm -hmm. in many major cities, I would say. Yeah. No, I, I think, um, there's some refuge that, uh, sort of a scientific outlook gives a lot of people, mm -hmm. um, because so many of us are, uh, children of, um, you know, religious abuse. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, this is, uh, one of the, the hardest things, you know, that I saw, especially teaching yoga in D.C., is how many people um, are very quick to, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater, essentially, with that. And um, really rejecting, you know, spirituality in that yeah. way because they're, they're intimidated by it, scared by it, they're traumatized by it. Right. Uh, and I think it, if you look at the media, you look at, uh, you know, films like, I think it was Spotlight, where it, it sort of reveals the atrocities within the Catholic Church and pedophilia and these kind of things. It's like, that's what people see a lot of times when they think of the traditional church structure. And it, it, it further separates people who I, I believe, even like myself, who would long for a deeper spiritual connection and feel so at odds with how to even begin pursuit mm. of a mission like that. Mm -hmm. So uh, I understand that message in... And I think um, it's difficult for people to to reach into themselves and pull out that spiritual that message whenever that's what they see on the TV, right. essentially. And that, that's exactly it. Um, in talking with uh, people who consider themselves atheists, <clears throat> it would always, you know, their justifications are uniformly heard. And maybe I haven't talked to every atheist on the planet, obviously, you know, but every single one I talk to, they all base their belief on the rejection of other people's beliefs. Mm -hmm. right? And when you start pressing and saying, oh, so what is it you believe? You know, mm -hmm. um, most of them would defer to agnosticism. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, well, the truth is I don't really know. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, I saw a bumper sticker. It was like, I'm a military agnostic. Right. Interesting. I don't know. <laughs> and you don't know either. <laughs> <laughs> They're telling you what you don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So where were you in Europe? I, I think that's an element that I never, I never was familiar with. Um, yeah. So when I left uh, the monastery, I uh, walked to Toulouse, uh, middle of the winter. Mm -hmm. I remember calling the monastery and one of the monks answered. It's like, oh, Derek, we thought you died. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. And, and you know, you learn, um, how to get by in situations like that. I remember like my fingers were so numb. I couldn't like unbutton my jeans to go to the bathroom at yeah. one point. And, um, you know, and then I can't like 
say I, I suffered because I did it to myself, you know. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I traveled through France, uh, and it was mostly visiting community that I met at the monastery. Mm -hmm. uh, I went through Belgium, Holland, uh, many places in Germany, um, Austria. And I met Patch Adams, actually, in Germany. I did a two-day uh, two workshop with him. It was on uh, Glückwunsch design. It's like how to be happy, being happy. Being happy. Right. Uh, it was beautiful. Um, yeah. It was... <laughs> so funny just dressing up with german friends and as clowns and yeah. going around just trying to make people laugh in whatever way you can you know? yeah uh, definitely um uh, about bringing joy mm -hmm. and and cultivating that um and then i went uh through austria to italy um mm -hmm. and uh i even went down to egypt uh because some of my friends uh grew up, that i grew up with happened to be going to cairo and mm -hmm. so i went to visited them and um, yeah, and then I came back and, um, I went to Slovenia also, um, and then eventually, you know, came back home. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, Europe's such a, a unique, uh, place also because they have so much history, you yes. know, they don't have the same sense of freedom. I think that we have, because even if they're modern in their outlook, there's buildings that are hundreds of years old all yeah, over surrounding the place. you yeah at all, at all points in time yeah yeah so the, the the voice of the ancestors the religious ancestors is still very strong there they don't have the sort of freedom to reject it you know right. <laughs> yeah and i think you look at more you know modern developments in the united states or even newer cities if you go out west and you're in you know park city utah or denver colorado or these sorts of places it's I mean, generally speaking, it's a pretty new spot. Mm -hmm. And now more and more you're seeing these sort of mid-sized American cities blossoming. Maybe they're gain gaining a university system and it's having an influx of people come in. And it's like there's really nothing old there, uh, you know, outside of the dirt beneath your feet. Uh, okay. there, there aren't many buildings or other structures that hold that history close to you mm -hmm. and present it in that way. Um, but... I wanted to I wanted to talk a little bit more about some figures in your life that has served have served as as mentors or guiding lights. Uh, there, there are a number of these people directly in the world of yoga, but also this gentleman Ed Carlson, mm. aka the Waver, and this is someone who had a big influence on on your outlook. And I was hoping you could share some more about him. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so when I got my junior year of college, that was when the emptiness of what I was studying was really hitting me, mm -hmm. and I got this wild idea. I, and I told my mom about it. I was like, and for the summer, I just want to go walking. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, walking where? And I was like, everywhere, you know. I, didn't have, I just knew I wanted to go walking. And uh, she found, uh, she heard this man speak at her church. She went to Unity Church. His name was Ed Carlson, uh, also known as The Waver, mm -hmm. uh, because that's what he had chosen to do with his life. Mm -hmm. uh, at some point, he uh, just renounced the world and started uh, walking around the country and waving to people on the roadside to send his love. Mm -hmm. And uh, somebody had interviewed him to write his story. And my mom sent me his book and it was phenomenal. The, the way that spirit had guided him, mm -hmm. it was the hand of spirit was undeniable, you know, in those choices, even sometimes like yelling at him what he needed to do, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I, I was so inspired by that. I realized that this is a principle, you mm -hmm. know, um, some people might call it the law of attraction, uh, but the really basic idea that if you place your faith in the universe, the universe will take care of you. Mm -hmm. uh, it is a, a universal concept, especially in indigenous cultures, mm -hmm. you know. And so I wanted to experience that for myself. So I went walking that summer, had an incredible adventure. And uh, where did your journey take you? And uh, how long were you on your adventure? 
Uh, I was on for the duration of the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was about three months. Mm-hmm. And basically up the East Coast. I, I first started at uh, my university and walked down the Appalachian Trail nice. uh, uh, for a week. And uh, yeah, and I've experienced the same thing of just miraculous coincidences providing exactly mm-hmm. what I needed. Um, and, you know, I didn't know anything when I first set out. I had this pack that weighed like 80 pounds with canned food in it. <laughs> <laughs> canned food. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And then uh, when the walk was completed, Ed Carlson came back to Virginia Beach. And so I got the opportunity to meet him. Mm-hmm. And I can't describe the energy coming off of him. It was uh, electric. And he just radiated this incredible light and love. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was so like laid back, you know, he, what we did when we hung out together was, you know, watch the football game and yeah. he asked me if I wanted a beer. I was like, no, I'm okay. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was very American, uh, spiritual master in that way, but I, he was definitely a spiritual master. Um, without a doubt. I remember, um, when I said goodbye to him, he gave me this hug and, uh, on the ride home, I was bursting into tears and crying because the hug touched me so deeply in my yeah. heart. Yeah, it was so beautiful. Um, so that was really like the first holy person uh, mm-hmm. that I uh, had the pleasure of meeting in person yeah. like that. And that was before you really embarked on this deeper adventure and in meeting many figureheads within the Oka community. That's right. Yeah. So you're you're at this point now and, and sort of bouncing forward now to your time in Washington, D.C., you're, I think, beginning to identify that um, to make a living in this space, the, the West in a lot of ways has commercialized yoga mm. and to its detriment in some ways, because even during our conversation prior to the recording, you talked about how uh, a colleague of yours was, was hoping to introduce yoga onto their website as an offering or a service of some, um, some sort. And, um, you, you heard another individual say, why would you, why would, why would you put that on there? I believe it was maybe his, his partner, wife, his wife yeah. right? So when you reflect on an instance like that, how, how do you, how do you think about, you know, processing someone feeling as though yoga is, is toxic or mm. in some ways not uh, what you view it as. Mm-hmm. It's uh, a central mission of mine um, is to help uh, reclaim the sacred. Um, and yoga is the perfect vehicle for it. Mm-hmm. Because what yoga really is, is the science of spirituality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is why I was drawn to it. It, made, um, it filled the holes that physics couldn't for mm-hmm. me. Um, What's beautiful about yoga, the the religion that it comes from is called Sanatana Dharma. We often call that Hinduism. Mm -hmm. But the unique thing uh, about uh, Sanatana Dharma is that no matter what question you have, there's an answer for it. Mm. Uh, Something that, you know, growing up in like Judeo-Christian backgrounds, it's like, you know, you don't question that, don't question this, you know. So I loved the scientific nature of it. It took me a long time to appreciate mm-hmm. um, some of it because it's so developed. You're looking, you don't, it's prehistoric how rich it is. Yeah. And um, I, it can be overwhelming for anybody who goes to India the first time, mm-hmm. uh, how many sights and sounds and smells assault your senses as soon as you get there, yeah. you know, and that's their culture because it's, uh, it celebrates the diversity uh, of the divinity. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, so, yeah, it was interesting as a yoga teacher. When I started off, it was uh, very young. It was back in 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, it was starting to get really popular. So everybody wanted yoga teachers. So it was really, and I was getting invitations to teach at every studio, especially as a man. There weren't many male teachers yeah. back then. Yeah. 
and I had these experiences in, in an ashram and with my first yoga teacher, was very authentic. Um, so I had a good grasp of the tradition that was very valued. But back then, it was, there was still this sense that if what you were practicing didn't come from a lineage, mm-hmm. that maybe it shouldn't be called yoga. You know, now, there's still people um, making up stuff and giving it a Sanskrit name. You know? Yeah. Um, but what was happening at that time was Yoga Alliance was formed with this noble intention to try and get credentials for yoga teachers mm-hmm. so that maybe one day they could enjoy the same benefits that like acupuncturists enjoy, which is they're covered right. by insurance. Right. Right. And uh, I remember being at a yoga conference and there's Yoga Alliance that made this presentation and there were some really senior teachers there that uh, were against the idea. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why would you be against this? This is such a simple like thing. Like, yes, yeah, band, band together. And, but what they understood properly is that yoga is an esoteric science. It's, it means it's hidden. Um, and if you're drawn to it, then, then you learn, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, a master will always recognize another master. It doesn't matter if they're from a different lineage. It doesn't matter if they're practicing differently. Like they, they see each other. Mm-hmm. And so why do you need, you know, a, a, a official organization Accreditation or to accredit whatever. you? Right. Yeah. It's already accredited by thousands of years. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so, you know, and this funny thing happened because Yo- Yoga Alliance started having registered yoga schools mm-hmm. where you can get a registered yoga school and teach people how to be yoga teachers. Mm-hmm. Now, all these people started asking me if I was going to start my yoga school. And I was like, I've only been teaching a couple of years. Yeah. I've never taken a yoga teacher training myself. Right. <laughs> I'm just like, you know, I'm just the sharing what phases, I learned. Yeah. yeah, it seemed crazy to me. But but everybody was doing it because if a studio wanted to survive, um, or sorry, thrive even, you know, not just barely survive, mm-hmm. the, these yoga teacher trainings were a great way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did that. Um, I did form my own yoga school. And... I called it Sri Yoga because it just means yoga is sacred. You mm-hmm. know, I wasn't trying to create a new line or anything. I was just saying, and I told all my students, I'm not your guru, you know, <laughs> I'm not representing a line here. I'm just sharing what I learned mm-hmm. from these different sources of who I, who, that I know are authentic sources. Right. Um, and then yoga started changing, especially when I came back from my pilgrimage in India, the board of yoga Alliance had changed from all these incredible spiritual practitioners to all business people. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait, this is going in the wrong direction. You right. know? Um, and then slowly I was kind of like, you know, pushed out of the, the studio scene because what I taught didn't have that sort of uh, market appeal, you know. And, uh, you know, questions of uh, self-worth were very present there. You know, it was, uh, that was challenging. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I dealt with it by finding other jobs and other work. But mm-hmm. I, um, I always felt something special when I would teach yoga, right. uh, something very powerful going on there. And then I was uh, really blessed. Uh, my guru, uh, Her Holiness Amashri Karanamai, um, blessed me to teach this very special yoga sequence. Yes. And, and then I suddenly had a line that I mm-hmm. could share, you know, yeah. in an authentic way. And that led itself um, very naturally into yoga therapy. And now there's this enormous um, interest in yoga therapy because people are realizing that um, there is this incredible potential here, you know. But there's also a lot of confusion because what people, as you said, are associating with yoga now is very inaccessible for a lot of people. Right. You know, people think, I can't do yoga. I could never take those high-powered fitness classes, you yes. know. Um, but the, the irony is that 
traditionally, like people didn't do yoga in India, you know, um, it was only if you were really sick that you would go and learn yoga, right. To, to try and sort of a healing methodology then. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And that was actually the original, um, practice of yoga, what's called yoga asana. Uh, asana means poses, postures. Mm -hmm. Um, you do these different postures and they rid the body of, uh, disease, mm -hmm. Um, and the purpose of reading the body of disease is so that you can sit in meditation and realize the Supreme Self. Mm -hmm. So there was always, you know, this higher goal and this higher reason for existing, uh, right. you know, with yoga. Um, and this is, uh, you know, where I struggle to find the right words for the message, you know, because I know how hard it is for somebody who's been traumatized by spirituality and has been traumatized by religion. And, and there's a lot of like, you know, the flip side of, you know, rejection of spirituality is the, the egoic embracing of it, you know, and, uh, you know, the narcissism that comes from thinking I'm all, I'm the spiritual person, you know, and, right. and doing spiritual bypassing all the time and just being yeah. like, yeah, um, really insensitive ultimately. Right? Um, but, uh, the authentic message of spirituality is to reconnect ourselves, uh, with, with the sacred, and um, what the sacred is, is uh, beyond description. You know, nobody can own it. If you can describe it, it could be owned. Yeah. Right? And that's the, the most difficult part about having the conversation like this is where, you know, in order to properly relay the details that someone might need in order to inspire them to take that journey, like you said, they, you kind of have to be drawn to it. Yeah. Um, it's not something that you can pull someone toward. It's a, it's a, they have to do it on their own in many ways. That's exactly right. And I love um, this comparison that, you know, in India, there's a lot of uh, physical poverty. Mm -hmm. um, that's their main problem, right? Yes. Um, just basics of life, you know, uh, food, clean water, shelter, mm -hmm. uh, education. Uh, in the West, we have all those things, you know, for most everybody, you know. Right. But we have this enormous spiritual poverty. And this great estrangement from ourselves, you know, either you're intensely religious and suffering in that world without maybe recognizing it, mm. or you're in incredibly rejectionary of it and suffering in that world. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and you're right. It, it has to come from within. Um, but I think there are so many people who are yearning for that sense of connection. Because mm -hmm. uh, as I mentioned, growing up uh, in Virginia Beach, it's a suburban wasteland, you know, um, you got shopping, you know, malls all over the place and it's yeah. just sprawl, you right. know, dead sprawl. Mm -hmm. And so we were suffering so much from disconnection in every mm -hmm. way uh, imaginable. Yeah. Um, but what yoga can really give us is that uh, reconnection uh, with the sacred and recon re the ability to reclaim words like God. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, <laughs> this is something so beautiful. I have to share this. Um, in Sanatana Dharma, you know, God is not this monolithic entity, right? Mm -hmm. um, now, actually, this is a big misconception. People think Hinduism is polytheistic. Mm -hmm. It's actually a monotheistic religion. And it's the most ancient monotheistic religion. Uh, God is only one, and that one supreme self is none other than your own self, yeah. uh, which is the greatest wealth. <laughs> profound, very profound. <laughs> um, but in order to have a relationship with the divinity mm -hmm. as the super self, 
Um, either you realize it through intense discriminatory effort, which takes a very uh, advanced soul and a, and a very strong intellect and, and a lot of blessing power. You know, it takes intense devotion mm-hmm. to realize, to go straight to this, to the absolute truth like that. Right. Most people need a form of God to talk to, to pray to, to love and adore, to have a relationship with, to see manifesting and to talking right. through the universe, you know. Uh, and that's called bhakti yoga, the path of devotion. Mm-hmm. And what's beautiful uh, about Sanatana Dharma is that every God is the only God. Mm-hmm. Right? So it was really confusing. You know, at, at first you hear like Ganesha is the supreme consciousness, the absolute omnipotent, omnipresent. And you're like, well, okay, well, what about his parents? You know, like, right. <laughs> oh, Shiva is the absolute, the omnipresent, the yeah. <laughs> omnipotent. Yeah. Uh, but it's such a profound understanding mm-hmm. um, that that's an incredible wealth that India has. Yes. Know? Uh, the appreciation of diversity. And what really struck me when I was in India is the presence uh, of mind that people have when they talk to you. They really listen. They're really open-minded. Even people who start off closed-minded can have a really open-minded, mm-hmm. you know, heart-centered conversation. Right. Um, and here we're, we're very reactionary. You know, we want to... Very much so. Cut end conversations yeah. and not, not get too deep. And, and very distracted, too. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's something that we discussed previously where you talked about... It, D.C., bringing it back to D.C. a little bit, is a place where it sort of pulls people who want to affect change. Mm -hmm. They see this as a political uh, power grid in some ways, and for those who are brave enough to come here and try and affect that change, they can wear themselves out or burn themselves down almost entirely. And that's something that you talked about as you were sort of building your business and trying to spread this message that you encountered people regularly who were in that boat who had come here to affect change and, and, uh, and positive change at that, but had found themselves in a position where they were essentially depleted entirely yeah. of themselves, their spirituality, of their efforts. What did that look like for you when you started to encounter those stories over and over again? And how did it inform your next mm. sort of moves? Yeah, well, there's an incredible diversity of um, of people here looking for change. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember one of my housemates uh, grew up in uh, Lebanon, the civil, the civil War there, and so um, carried a lot of trauma mm-hmm. surrounding that. But <clears throat> a very passionate about independent media as a result mm-hmm. and getting these stories out. Right. You know, um, for that person, it wasn't a question of um, just information. It mm-hmm. was a matter of life or death. And and you saw how that stress had a toll, you know, because there wasn't um, any sort of refuge to go to to trust that everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's really the beauty that the sacred can, can offer us is a, an inner ashram, an inner refuge uh, where we can you know, regardless of what it looks like on the outside, right. we can find a center that's calm and peaceful and, and restorative. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I definitely saw that in the activist community. Um, and it was sad because it would, it would lead to inner fighting in the activist groups and a lot of self-sabotage. And you see this enormous potential just like dissipate because mm-hmm. there wasn't anything common that could unite them and right. bond them together. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, do you feel like your teachings and your abilities to share that message is, is something that could have served as a foundational platform to hold those groups together? And and is there some sense of, I don't know if there's any guilt associated with that, not being able to bring that to the, the forefront more fully, but I know that is the continuing mission being here and, and working in this region. Mm. Yeah, I had um, I certainly um, hoped that you know something bigger would have happened. 
but I do trust um, what's happening, you know, I, because I've been blessed to find that inner refuge. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are moments of uh, great discouragement that, um, you know, you just roll with the punches. You're like, okay, well, I can't teach yoga to make a living. Let me, you know, be a math teacher. Let me be a carpenter. Let me yeah. do these other things. And, uh, and still, you know, teach to whoever's uh, willing um, to, to share the journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's beautiful because I know I'm not alone in that, you know, the, uh, the very few people who are drawn to regularly, uh, take my, I don't like to call them classes now because they're, they're more like collective prayer sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, it's so profound what we're sharing together. You know, mm-hmm. we really have this sense of connection and, uh, and deeper, um, trust. Right. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in to the Wealth of Self podcast. The audio-only version of these stories can be found on nearly every major podcast streaming platform from Spotify to Apple Podcasts and many, many more. Your support as we grow this movement is immensely appreciated. You can help us out by leaving a rating, writing a short review, or even sharing it with a friend or a loved one who you feel would benefit from hearing these stories. Finally, If you're interested in seeing the video interview that accompanies these stories, head over to our YouTube channel or our Facebook page for the full viewing experience. While you're there, don't forget to leave a like, subscribe, or follow the channel, and share your thoughts in the comment section. For additional information on how to support the Wealth of Self, head over to www.wealthofself.com. Now, let's get back to the interview. Well, one of the the common themes that you've reiterated a number of times, but we haven't gone in very deep on, is the Divine Mother. Mm. You talk about how that entity has been a guiding force throughout your entire journey. Mm. And I was hoping you could share more about that and and go into more detail for those individuals who may be listening or watching who don't know what Mm. that is, essentially. Well, beautiful. Um, Yeah, so we just talked about how the Divine can come in any form. Mm -hmm. Uh, Everybody, um, you know feels love uh, on some level for their mother, even if they had a terrible mother, you know. Right. Um, but this is something very profound, is that the Divine Mother, uh, like the Divine Father, uh, is everybody's mother, everybody's father. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the path of Divine Mother uh, is really one of uh, sweetness and love. Um, you know, Mother doesn't... Uh, teach you with a, you know, with a, a whip, right? Yeah. She does have a, a goat of anger, right? Yeah. But, <laughs> but it's actually like a really big blessing right. uh, if you receive that, because that means you're very close to her. Because mm-hmm. she's a short weapon, you know? Mm-hmm. What's long that she has is her noose of love. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that noose, you know, once you're touched by the love of the Divine Mother, your, your life is never going to be the same. What, um, what struck me was I was at the monastery in, uh, in France, and one of my friends who had just become a monk, uh, his twin brother came to visit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and with him, he had brought this picture of an Indian saint. Uh, her name's Mother Mira. And I was getting to know him, and I looked, and I saw her eyes. I, I stopped our conversation, and I just asked, I was like, who is that? Because there was an energy, there was a power that I yeah. felt, and that I recognized in that moment of homecoming. You know, it was very familiar. Yeah. Um, 
And he explained that Mother Mira is a saint. She gives what's called darshan, which is where you go see her, and it's all in silence. You just go kneel before her and then look into her eyes and then sit back down. And it's like, you know, three hours of otherwise silent meditation while everybody else goes and gets their darshan. Yeah. Uh, I knew I had to go see her. Um, I didn't know what this connection was. You know, I spent hours looking in her eyes and wondering, you know, is this made up in my mind or are you really hearing me the way I feel like you're hearing mm -hmm. me? And I remember when I finally did have Mother Mira's darshan, I, I, it was such a powerful silence in there. My mind was so quiet and I, I looked in Mother's eyes and the only thought that came across my mind was, oh, <laughs> it was this realization like realization, you, you yeah. are real and, yeah. and, and this wasn't in my mind yeah. uh, and that um, that light that I connected with became a guiding force uh, really what brought me to DC I had when I was at Yogaville I had been hearing a lot about um, <clears throat> a famous uh, Indian saint named Amachi uh, full name is Mata Amritananda um, but she's called the hugging saint Mm -hmm. And people would ask me at Yogaville, you know, who's your guru? And I was like, well, I was very anti-guru back then still, you know, um, like most Westerners are, right? Yeah. Um, and I said, well, you know, she says she's not a guru, but if I had to say anybody, be Mother Mira. And they say, oh, is that that woman who's hugging people? And I was <laughs> like, no. <laughs> and then I found out uh, about Amachi, who um, has hugged tens of millions of people. Um, wow. And when I went to go see her, it was a very similar experience of like, oh my God, I, I'm looking at a living miracle. Mm -hmm. um, because it was like, uh, Amma's hugging people for hours and hours and hours on end. And you just sit there and watch her like, oh, she must really know that person and, and really love them. You know, something special going on. Oh, she must really love that person and know them. You know, something special going on. Every later. single <laughs> person, right? <laughs> right. And you see her not stopping for yeah. hours on, upon hour, um, never taking a break until everybody's hugged. And then right. it, is, it was a, a living miracle that I saw. And uh, Amachi's program was up in the D.C. area. And mm -hmm. so that was how I uh, met somebody who uh, introduced me to the activist house that he moved into. Yeah, and yeah. Um, yeah, and I've been trying to leave D.C. ever since. Right? But <laughs> yeah. So when you think about your relationship with this region, obviously you have a family yeah, mm -hmm. and that that ties you into a, a place a little more deeply. And, and I've shared this with you. You know, I, I have entertained moving elsewhere. Uh, and and a, a part of that is driven by the fact that D.C. for me represents a big office. Mm. It's a big office space. And there's a constant emotional drain. Even sitting here in this studio recording the buzz and the whirs and the beeps of everything around you. It's almost like this electrical pulse that seems to just innately exist within my brain. And there's this deep, deep longing for me to be a little closer to nature and be in the mountains, be in the forest, just connect in some way, shape or form. What's your relationship been with that because mm. dc is in many ways it's a concrete jungle it's not nearly as big as something like new york or maybe even toronto but it, but can it is be a hard. swampland right yeah yeah, yeah. And, and it can be hard to get away yeah. it's just uh that requires in and of itself an a, an immense amount of energy to really separate from the city yeah that's absolutely right i uh my first four years living here, so I didn't have a car. Mm. <clears throat> then a yoga student uh, generously gave me a car. Very beautiful. And, That's uh, <laughs> great. That's a great gift. <laughs> and I remember the first time I was driving out of the city after being here for so long, you know, just taking the metro or whatever, and I was like, oh, my God, this is what oxygen is like again. You know, you don't realize the, the stagnation here also. Like, the air quality is really not good. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, and so that, that does grind on you. And... Um, 
and so like I, you know, I just mentioned, like I've been trying to leave it ever since, you know, like it was funny when I go back sometimes through old emails, I'm like, oh, wow, there I was talking to somebody else about how I'm getting ready to leave DC, you know, yeah. and I'm still here 20 years later. Right. Um, because it is, there's a, uh, a mission of purpose that you find here that, uh, that holds your feet here, you know, um, opportunities like this, you know? Yeah, this is wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that, that's, uh, that's really rewarding, um, in its own right. Uh, you find, um, rivers of light, you know, in, in the city of darkness. Uh, this is, um, you know, many ways like the heart of darkness of the world, you know, because America is the most powerful country in the world and yeah. DC is his power center. Yeah. So, um, I've been really fortunate to, to see so many incredible things here and to meet incredible people. Uh, I think throughout this journey, you've experienced a variety of evolutions within yourself. And, and now you're starting to embark on one that's more in line with yoga therapy. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you, you mentioned in the early two thousands, there was sort of the yoga craze. And then there was a little bit of like a capitalist twist that seemed to overtake that for the fitness industry purposes. But now yoga therapy is, is something that you're pursuing more fully. And, and what does that look like for you now? Mm. Yeah. So, um, I mentioned earlier how I was, um, uh, sort of, um, you know, excommunicated from the yoga yes, fitness yeah. world. And when, and that was such a blessing really, because I was able to find my niche, you know, because why is it I'm so passionate about the original yoga? Mm -hmm. Um, well, one, it, it offers us a science of consciousness that I think if we study it, uh, and if we have the philosophical wherewithal to, to recognize that it is a science, mm -hmm. we can actually see that it is even a superior science to, to Western science. Now, the origins of our science are based on this idea that nature can be understood with our five senses alone. And uh, contrasted to all the ancient schools, uh, they're called schools of mysteries, right? Because they're esoteric. They, you had to be initiated in them mm -hmm. uh, in order to learn. And what, what did that initiation entail? It wasn't just book learning. It wasn't just, you know, I'm, you know, I can do these equations. I can you right. know, list off these facts. It was a transformation of yourself. It was a transformation of your experience of reality. Yeah. Um, there is, uh, you know, uh, some speculation uh, that entheogens were used in, in these, uh, even with Gnostic Christianity. There's mm -hmm. a lot of signs that uh, psilocybin mushrooms, or uh, yeah, um, yeah, that were were very much part of uh, ancient Gnostic. And there's a fabulous documentary on Netflix yeah. called Fantastic Fungi. I've seen it. It's wow. amazing. Just yeah. mind blowing. The time lapses in that are just insane. Exactly. But it it alludes to a lot of what you're talking about here, as well as you know this opening of early humans minds yeah yeah and and so it, it's been frustrating for me to see especially how the west even people are interested in yoga therapy how they're digesting yoga mm -hmm. they're still looking at it from the point of this inferior science you know of thinking this is all biomechanical it's chemical there's neural pathways and and i'm not discounting the value of that right because 95 percent of the healing is the belief that you've been healed right mm -hmm. and if you if i showed somebody a yoga pose and and it healed them they wouldn't believe it unless they have there's some kind of like literature explaining yeah. some kind of pathway <laughs> that you know that can now it's real right yeah. right now it's real <laughs> Right. <laughs> um, but 
the reason why yoga is a superior science is because it includes um, the experience of consciousness that you can access in yourself. Mm-hmm. This is why there's so many um, millions of renunciates in, in India, mm-hmm. and there have been since pre, prehistoric times, uh, is because they're not delusional. You know, It's an incredible arrogance to think that they're just off in yeah. la-la land. You yeah. know? They're tapping something real. And, uh, and what they're tapping is... Uh, this incredible uh, wealth of truth um, that uh, can serve us to understand our own spiritual journey. Mm -hmm. And this is why this is so important because healing is connected to our own spiritual journey. If you're, you're getting sick, it's for a reason. You know, right. uh, if anything happens, actually, for it's for a reason. But to start yeah. to really view your life like that takes a certain amount of courage and, uh, and a lot of self-reflection. Mm-hmm. Um, but in order, this is why disease happens a lot of times, is sort of to like to push us right. in, into questioning things a little bit deeper mm-hmm. and to move and to evolve. Um, if you understand uh, that yoga is a superior science in that way, it has the incredible miraculous healing power to offer us. That can't be explained but through physical phenomena. Right. The original practice of yoga asana is a form of prayer. And uh, in prayer, you know, we usually think of prayer as uh, words, like you're talking to the divine, you're talking to some unseen higher force, or you're thinking thoughts, you know, in, usually in desperation. Or, um but the beauty of the asana is that it, it's a posture that mm-hmm. itself is a prayer. It, it's uh, it's body language, mm-hmm. and you're holding yourself in that prayer. It has a profound effect on the nervous system. Mm-hmm. Uh, it transforms you into um, an aspect of nature, really. Uh, and this is what we're all seeking: is that reconnection. Nature is interconnected. Everything's interconnected. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yoga therapy has been a place where I've naturally found myself um, because uh, people who are seeking healing, I noticed this early on actually when I started, because I was always teaching classes on donation basis. It was very important to me that there wasn't a price tag barrier right. for people. And I would do uh, certain programs at uh, schools, uh, you know, for uh, disenfranchised youth. And, mm-hmm. and whenever I would teach underprivileged populations, I was amazed at how they connected to it immediately. You know, like leaps that took me years to make. They were making instantly because they were, they may have been, um, suffered a lot of, uh, lack of privilege in their lives, but that gave them a spiritual wealth that Mm -hmm. allowed them to recognize the gems that were there. So do you think that, that they were more receptive and more open to experiencing change in their own lives? And that was sort of the catalyst for them being able to go into that environment with you and just be ready. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and contrasted to, you know, the studios are, are more, in general, more a privileged class society. It's not a cheap thing to take a yoga class. And Yeah. If you look <laughs> at the, the higher end spots, uh, there's a pretty good price tag attached to some of those Is that right? classes. I haven't kept up with it for a while. Yeah. So. yeah. Um, so yeah, and, and that, those kind of populations are really hard to reach, right? Because they, they have the spiritual poverty of privilege mm-hmm. um, and they don't, they're, they're looking, when you have a lot of privilege, your outlook is how can this serve me? You know, well, how can I use this to my own, for my own desires, right? right? Like a tool almost. Yeah, exactly. And that's why yoga has been commodified because people are wanting to use it as a commodity. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it was an accident, you know, because um, yoga would not have been released from India unless, you know, this was intended mm-hmm. I, I, because I really believe and that the yoga masters are 
uh, such incredible beings that they have that power, you know? Yeah. Um, so what's happening now is this, um, I feel like a, a new renaissance. Um, I've been really inspired by cinema recently, whereas before I would watch movies and just feel depressed about humanity <laughs> and where society's head is at, you know? And now, like, I just saw, like, the, the new Black Panther movie, and I was like, wow, this yeah, was... Yeah, I, I want to watch it so badly. It's I've heard so great good. things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it's funny because they, they touch on really deep spiritual topics mm. there. And uh, part of me inside was cringing a little bit. I was imagining if I was, like you know, indigenous person in Africa, seeing some of these sacred practices being used sure. in, in a Marvel universe. You right, know? right. But then I think about how many African-Americans there are in this country who they're watching this and they feel for the first time in their life some sense of pride about their identity. And uh, and it was yeah. really beautiful. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and I really feel like this renaissance is happening, this this new level of looking deeper at these questions. I think the, the possibility of people recognizing that this uh, universe we live in is consciousness mm -hmm. and how empowering that is, you know, right. um, and how yoga can help empower you yeah. to make the most of your life and to find your own, uh, your own path. Yeah. Right? Um, this is the, the real beauty of it. Um, and uh, yeah. And that's, and that, cause that's the thing, right? the sacred heals. Yes. Right. It heals everything. Yeah. Uh, and that, and that's uh, that's why we turn to it. Yeah. Well, the fact that these things are now making their way into more mainstream media talk about, you know, one of the biggest blockbusters of the year uh, and Black Panther that, you know, I, I think you mentioned you look at that and you say, I hope this is not uh, disenfranchising any groups or, or, or you know, not pro appropriately representing something that was historically or culturally important to them. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's also putting this out there in front of so many more eyes and, and in many ways is hopefully a catalyst for that revolution that you speak about where people are now more receptive, more open to these changes. And I, I just have to say that I, I, I hope that is the case too, because in so for such, for such a long time in my life, there was, and a rejection of, you know, a higher power or a rejection of what, what a lot of people would call, you know, traditional religion. But at the same time, I know deep within myself that there is this intense longing for more spiritual connection yeah. and to feel a little bit more connected. And I don't, I don't know if that's just because of where I am in my life right now, but I think in many ways it's because I long for something deeper. You know, mm -hmm. I look at what I do on a day-to-day -day basis, creating imagery through photo and video. And I, I ask myself, much like you have asked yourself throughout your life, is this, is this it? Is this what uh, my life is? Mm -hmm. And I hope there's more. Right. I just, I, and, and I want to be open to that. And I hope that this message also communicates that to others who feel the same way. That if you're open to it and you want to move toward it, yeah. that there, there are options for you. So. Yeah, and it's uh, it's really important to know if if you're in that seat um, of feeling this desire to want to connect, that you only need that desire, right? As long as you focus on that desire, the connections will come. Yeah. And as I mentioned before, you know these schools of mysticism and real yoga is an esoteric practice. This means it's hidden. Um, you have to be brought in. You yeah. know, but, um, you know, they say when the student is ready, the guru comes. Right. And uh, and that's uh, the guru is praised as uh, beyond space and time. Uh, and so you don't need a living master, even yeah. um, any enlightened master that you feel connected to. Mm -hmm. They're your guru. Right. Yeah. And cultivate that relationship and you'll start noticing your guru talking to you yeah. through the universe. Right. You know? That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, when you think about what is next for you, I know you talked about a book 
that mm. you're working on, which has a phenomenal and very catchy title. <laughs> um, but how, how are you taking those next steps and, and looking forward? Um, yeah, I struggle with this, um, with the voice there because there's so much to convey as we, as you, you know, very rightfully mm-hmm. said, uh, it, and I have trouble remembering that, you know, this is a massive journey that I undertook and with immense blessings behind it, mm-hmm. uh, to be able to get to the point of understanding and knowledge, uh, that I am at right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm not thinking of myself in a big way, but I just know that, um, the understanding that I have and what I appreciate about yoga mm-hmm. is a very difficult thing to convey. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, you're right. The title is very catchy. Uh, it's called yoga is like sex. Yeah. Uh, the subtitles healing the fear of the sacred. Mm-hmm. Um, and because there is that aspect, I feel like not everybody's going to understand how yoga's uh, been commodified. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but everybody will be able to easily and readily see how sex has been commodified everywhere, uh, every day, every second. Yeah, and as we you know touched on earlier, the the sexual abuse in our country is massive, um, and so this is something. This is an incredible pain point for our country and for our culture. Um, when I grew up in the '80s, you know, like you just saw media treating sex as a commodity and entertainment, and and uh, and just you know very irreverent. references all the time right yeah when you look back at uh, older like uh, night show interviews and things like that there's obviously still a lot of sexism in our in our society today and and in our media but there are some extremely blatant examples uh late 80s 90s early Mm -hmm. 2000s where you watch you watch it back and you're like they said that on air wow (laughs) just incredible it is bad but it's 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 out there yeah and i think that Demon has really showed its ugly head in the past few years. Um, one of the blessings of the pandemic, you know, Corona um, means like a halo, right? It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's It was like a magnifying glass that showed, highlighted everything that we had going on around us and made it blatant, you know, yeah. shamelessly in yeah. our face. And uh, especially the sexism piece, you know, the leader of the free world was uh, unabashed sexist. Um, said terrible things about women and faced no consequences, yeah. right? And fascinating, honestly. Yeah, yeah. But this has absolutely created um, this awareness of the toxic masculinity uh, that we have, mm-hmm. and um, and I do have hope that uh, the the feminine force is rising. You know, I felt it when I was watching Black Panther. Actually, it was very yeah. very clear. You know, yeah. um, the um, the feminine force is one that really just cares uh, that people are, are fed and, and mm-hmm. clothed and taken care of, you know, right. um, you know, men love to fight ego wars and, and women are always left cleaning up the aftermath. Right? Uh, so if, uh, if the feminine force really rises in our society, um, if more people connect with the power yeah. of divine mother, yeah, yeah, I really think uh, we can have a, a yeah. beautiful world. Well, a lot of people will hear a word, like toxic masculinity. And we live in a society right now that is extremely polarized. So mm-hmm. you have people who have a, a completely negative reaction to a phrase or a word like that, and others mm-hmm. who will identify the deeper meaning and, and understand that there's there's not ill intent behind it. It's a message of love and connectedness that this Divine Mother is intended to help us rise as a whole. Mm-hmm. It's not to ostracize one group or another. It's to care and love for all of us. So when, when you have a message like that, how do you convey it to everyone where, you know, it, it's not your responsibility for them to receive it 
in any kind of way. Mm. But to bring us all together as a whole when you're communicating that message, how, how do you do that um, when, when you think about, you know, sh- spreading that message in, in, a, in a way that more people are receptive to? Mm. Um, you know, it's interesting because this, uh, this demon um, of patriarchy that has been plaguing our world mm-hmm. um, is very dark. And you're right that it, it goes unrecognized, right? Uh, because it wants to hide in the darkness. Uh, if you're a man benefiting from the privilege of being a man, then you're naturally going to have a reaction to something like toxic masculinity. Right. right? Um, <clears throat> but, and, and this is, you know, the, what the, the blessing of uh, the murder of George Floyd gave society, I think. It was a global recognition, you know, of, uh, of how our privilege is influencing our realities. Yeah. Um, and so... You know, the, the, the demon of toxic masculinity is really uh, disgusting and scary. It's uh, one that is um, incredibly derogatory towards, towards women. You know, thinks yeah. of women as stupid, uh, yeah. thinks of them as just physical objects, um, totally, you know, worthless. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for somebody like me and you who love our mothers so much, like, (laughs) you know, and and it's hiding, it's hiding in our society. I remember walking home one time um, with a friend uh, of a friend who I thought was a really good guy and he was drunk and started talking about how stupid women were. And I, you know, I had to hold back, (laughs) hold back my fists, you know? (laughs) Yeah. What the hell? But it was like, wow, where did that come from? You know, Um, we don't know uh, how big this is. Um, And, you know, but it, it, if we can recognize it, appreciate, help us appreciate the sort of struggle that we're facing here. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just it, is that the force of Divine Mother is about love, you know. And, and that's the truth of God that was taken from us, which has caused this religious trauma, is the idea that um, God is for you under these conditions, right? Right. And God is not actually yours. God is mine, and I'm giving you God under yeah. these conditions, right? Yeah. You have to play by the rules that we're outlining for you. Exactly. Yeah. And, and the truth that cannot be denied is that God is for everyone. Uh, God is not owned by anyone. God doesn't hold, just like the sun doesn't choose who to shine on. Yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, <clears throat> and that is uh, something that you can see in the force of divine mother so easily and so beautifully mm-hmm. because um, uh, mother's love is just uh, for all the children, obviously. Yeah. And, uh, and mother will lead you to the father. You right. know? Uh, in my own journey, um, I was raised uh, as kind of Christian, you know. Well, you talk early on about being in in Virginia Beach, at least. You had the military base very close by, and then you had the Christian Broadcast Network. CBN. CBN, right just a couple miles down the road. So that's fascinating that you, at the very beginning of your journey, you had that that cluster of entities so close to one another. Exactly, yeah. And, you know, it's funny because I mentioned earlier how my mother loves everybody, but the, the... the the one group that she has the hardest time loving, you know, <laughs> she still manages to love them. <laughs> but the one group she always has the hardest time with is uh, born again Christians, you know, and um, and I myself suffered from a reactionary, you know, feeling towards towards the sacred name of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. uh, for for so long, um, and it was Divine Mother who led me to an authentic connection. Uh, with Christ, uh, mm-hmm. and when you have that authentic, direct connection, then 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 the pain goes away. Yeah. Right. Then the uh, the stigma goes away, and and then the forgiveness comes for everybody who's abusing that sacred name. Yeah. Right. Uh, and that's real freedom. Uh, that's actual 
you know, real freedom to, yeah. to be able to forgive. There's a beautiful story of um, uh, Genghis Khan. He was one of these tyrants, you know, like the his masculine, toxic masculine mm-hmm. tyrants. His, mm-hmm. his food was this feeling that he was great, you know, and he wanted everybody to be terrified of him. Right. And, uh, you know, and, and this crazy uh, how many women he impregnated like the, the people. oh there's some statistic about the number of uh, genetic offspring that still exist in the gene pool as a direct result of his uh, sexual con- conquests exactly yeah. exactly and there's this uh, great story of how he went uh into this one town and was killing and pillaging and looting and and he saw this yogi sitting underneath the tree and while all this violence was going around the yogi was sitting there with this beautiful peaceful smile right and that really pissed off Genghis Khan. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm getting he, this visual in my head. Yeah. Just like. <laughs> and so he jumps off his horse, runs up to the yogi, grabs his sword, points it right at his heart. And he says to him, don't you know I could run the sword through your heart without blinking an eye? Mm-hmm. And the yogi, still in his perfect bliss, says, don't you know you could run that sword through my heart without me blinking an eye? Yeah, uh, and right that back is, at you. Right. <laughs> and so th- that's the demonstration. Like, what is real power? Yeah. yeah. Um, one of the signs of Kali Yuga, which is the age of darkness that um, Hinduism, Sanatana Dharma, talks about, is that um, money will be the sole um, measure uh, for people's worth. And, uh, and I see that very much, I've seen that very much in the yoga world. There'd be some incredible saint yoga master coming through town and people would choose to go to the, the famous yoga teacher who's making a lot of money. Right. Um, because that's what they identify as success. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, real success, uh, isn't, isn't money, you know, because in the end, uh, if you don't have anybody that you love around you, you know, what is, what does your life mean? It doesn't matter how much money you what have. What is it worth? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, uh, one of the questions that I've always tried to ask people, and I'm, I'm developing this palette and refining it as I meet more and more people and have them on the podcast, but it's looking at yourself in the mirror now and really reflecting on who you are. Who do you see when you see yourself looking back? Uh, um, I see somebody who's still struggling to get through life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, one of the greatest blessings in my life is uh, becoming a father um, and a daughter, no less, you know, uh, as a devotee of divine mother, um, yeah. get to see divine mother in, in her infancy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, the sweetest experience, but parenthood, I remember my friend, uh, telling me when I became a dad he was like, oh, I'm going to talk to you differently now, you know, <laughs> part of the insiders club, right? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and it's true. It's, uh, um, it's one of those adventures that, you know, unless you're in it, you can't possibly imagine, but it, it's so, it's so rich. Uh, so that's a huge part of my identity now um, yeah. that I love uh, being a dad. And, um, and I'm finding more avenues for talking about yoga in its original form, in particularly as uh, in the world of yoga therapy. Because mm-hmm. uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, yoga may have been co-opted into this fitness thing, um, <clears throat> and it still has its benefits. I'm not decrying it, you know. Uh, absolutely not. Like uh, I think I mentioned before, this happened for a reason, and it's mm-hmm. a very good thing because a lot of uh, people are finding refuge in those communities. Yes. Um, but if people want to take their, their individual study deeper, you know, that's where I really, uh, see myself as, um, 
a conduit, you know, helping people to make those connections, helping mm -hmm. people to find uh, their own path. Right. And I'm so happy that uh, the different yoga teacher trainings I've had, like um, the students uh, went on to find their own connections, you know, uh, and, to, and to develop and cultivate that yeah. on their own. Um, uh, it, it feels like the most gratifying thing in the world, you know. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm and I'm also really busy now as a yoga therapist. Um, interestingly enough, you know, the majority of my yoga therapy clients are Indian, mm -hmm. right? Um, but it gives me a great opportunity um, to see the powers of yoga therapy at play because Indians in general, it's a very disciplined culture, you know, um, can't generalize in general about anything. Right. But, uh, but yeah, you know, most Indians, they, they, there's a, a discipline value in that yeah. culture. And especially they've been raised with understanding who a yogi really is. You know, no Indian grows up in, in, in their village or, or their town without hearing some miracle from mm -hmm. the local sadhu. You know, yeah. uh, they know that uh, yoga is all powerful. And so they really come with this faith and mm -hmm. they'll bring every kind of health problem you can imagine, you know, uh, to, to, uh, to be healed by yoga therapy. And so, you know, I prescribe asanas, I, I work with them in different ways, um, but it's wonderful to see uh, that evolution and the, the work happening. Mm -hmm. uh, and it gives me a lot of confidence that more people um, will be open to receiving it. It's given me a platform also to talk about what yoga really is, because mm -hmm. once you change the practice, it loses that supernatural healing power. It still has healing power, I'm not denying it, but it's not much different than the healing power from exercise, right. you know? exercise is wonderful it's going to give you a long life but yoga can give you so much more yeah um, as a final note on the wealth of self and again i have to say thank you so much because um it, this this it's just a title right at the end of the day but it, it again has always been a conduit for me to hear people's stories and, and in many ways it's been an opportunity for me to develop myself too uh because i realize there are things about um, my life and my path that I want more clarity on and hearing and observing others is is one of the greatest tools that I've been able to utilize um, for my own learning mm -hmm. and, and I hope that that will be the case for anyone listening or watching this as well that they can hear your voice and hear your experiences and understand that uh, you know not to model necessarily, but to observe and absorb, mm -hmm. uh, they can take some of those messages home with themselves and maybe change their life or the, the lives of those around them. Mm. So when it comes to your definition of, of wealth, uh, what has that meant to you? I know some people attach a monetary figure to that, but I think when all is said and done at the end of the day, very few people are worried about their account. Mm -hmm. It's generally something much deeper than that. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, conversion that happens on the deathbed, right? Um, my definition of wealth, uh, I would say, is connection, which is really what yoga means on, in its root level. Mm -hmm. uh, the root of yoga comes from the word yuge, which means to yoke, to unite, to connect. Mm -hmm. And uh, these connections that I've been so incredibly blessed with, um, I'm, it gives me the greatest joy to share them. You know? And so... Um, if uh, if somebody else is looking for connection, you know, I absolutely hope they feel uh, comfortable reaching out to me because yeah. I always love to hear from people who are thirsty for more. Mm -hmm. And I never pretend to be a guru, so please don't think of me as a guru. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I can um, I can definitely help with those connections, you mm -hmm. know. And it's been a real honor for me. Uh, sometimes, you know, 
uh, people get referred to me for, for various reasons. And uh, to help make those connections is such a satisfying feeling. Um, it's one, this is something also so beautiful about uh, Sanatana Dharma is um, wealth is divine mother. And she's uh, Lakshmi Devi. And uh, there's uh, eight forms of wealth. But the, the wealth of knowledge is a very special wealth because it's the only wealth that you get richer by giving it away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, I'm so grateful for this opportunity to be able to share this Thank wealth. You. Thank you. Um, and, uh, and I hope other people uh, can receive it and, and share it also. Absolutely. And I just want to reiterate one point that you made, but in any and all interactions that I've ever had with you, you are extraordinarily peaceful and very approachable. And so for folks who are out there who want to engage with you, I think that barrier is non-existent for the most part. It's it really up to them to make that that uh, push forward and, and come out and meet you. But um, again, thank you. You've, you've been an inspiring figure in my life, and I hope that our connection remains strong and we can continue to do more work together. Uh, telling your story in a, in a short film sort of aspect is something that I would I would really be honored to do, uh-huh. and um, I think we've spoken about that very briefly. But um, again, the, the the story that you have is so intricate and so deep. Um, in many ways, I feel like it's hard for me to 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 do it justice with my interview. But I I do hope that it scratches the surface for some people out there and serves as maybe a foundation of inspiration for them to take a leap in their life mm-hmm. and explore their spirituality more deeply. Yeah, and, and thank you because um, I just mentioned about how the greatest wealth is connection. I, I really feel like this connection that we made is uh, such an inspiring uh, wealth for me also um, because I have struggled to find uh, platforms where I can share. It's not like I want to go out and preach on the street corner right and it's very much the kind of thing that i'm only going to share if i'm invited to and um mm-hmm. and you've been so amazing like i'm just so impressed with um uh with your passion uh, for what thank you're you. doing here uh, it's you. really inspiring and beautiful thank you very much yeah. yeah and it's a it's a long road ahead i know there are more techniques and skills to develop but i'm, I'm hoping to make it my own as i go through that journey and uh, i just appreciate you coming in tonight so I'm still very much a student, too. Thank you, Darren. (laughs) Thank you, Jason. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in to the Wealth of Self podcast. The audio-only version of these stories can be found on nearly every major podcast streaming platform from Spotify to Apple Podcasts and many, many more. Your support as we grow this movement is immensely appreciated. You can help us out by leaving a rating, writing a short review, or even sharing it with a friend or a loved one who you feel would benefit from hearing these stories. Finally, if you're interested in seeing the video interview that accompanies these stories, head over to our YouTube channel or our Facebook page for the full viewing experience. While you're there, don't forget to leave a like, subscribe, or follow the channel, and share your thoughts in the comment section. For additional information on how to support the wealth of self, head over to www.wealthofself.com. Thank you so much for your viewership. We'll see you on the next one.